So back in, uh, in the spring, I think it was the beginning of April, we, had a, uh, we organized a retreat for men, uh, you know, from the guys who were down here in the parishes on the island and, and also some other, other people. It wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, Long Beach and Point Lookout people. It was great, though. It was out at the seminary in Huntington. Um, it was an overnight. We got out there Friday evening, left Saturday, uh, returned on Saturday evening. It's about 40, 45 guys. And what was great was the range in ages. Um, we had a couple, of, a couple of guys that were in their, let's see, like their early 20s, and it went all the way to a few guys in their 80s. It was just a great group. Um, the other night, we decided to uh, have kind of a reunion uh, for those who went on that retreat. Um, and we had it right here across the street at the rectory. Um, right above the rectory, there's a great, way up top, there's a deck. It's, you can't even, it's hard to tell from, from out looking out here, but it's really wild. You get this amazing view of, of the ocean. So we've invited the guys uh, there. And this was totally social. This wasn't, you know, retreat stuff at all. It was, uh, in fact, we kind of built it as a cigars and scotch night. Uh, and it was fun. It was a really good time. Um, we also actually invited, so it was the guys who were, had gone on the retreat and then also, uh, you know, we just tried to think of other men uh, in the parishes that are, that are here, that are just at mass regularly or, and or involved in, in the parishes in different ways. And you know, as the, as the, as the, the weekend has gone on, and I've talked about this, I've, I've seen, oh man, I should have invited that guy and that guy, so next time I'll, sorry for that, if I, if I, didn't, if I didn't catch you with an invitation. Because um, there are, there's a lot of just really awesome guys that are, take their faith seriously. Um, I was thinking though, the other night, at the scotch and soda thing, a scotch and cigar thing, it was um, probably about an hour into it, and I, uh, I was up there, and I was just kind of like looking around, and everybody was having a really good time, which was great. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if somebody had just showed up here, kind of crashed the, the, what we were doing, you never, never would have known that it was a church event, like at all. It was just, just like a bunch of guys hanging out, having a great time. Um, they weren't a group of like religious kooks, um, Jesus freaks, kind of religious oddballs. They, they just weren't. They just weren't. But they were this. They were a group of men who on some very real level know that God has to be in the mix. Like God has to be a part of their lives in kind of a real and substantive way. Um, it's kind of this gospel. There's three characters, Jesus, of course, and these two sisters. And we just heard it. We all know this story. Martha, Mary, and one's annoyed at the other. Um, Jesus is there. They're thrilled at his, his presence. And uh, Martha's running around just doing great Serving, getting everything set, taking care of, you know, food and drink and scotch and cigars, maybe. Who knows? Like, she's doing all the, all the stuff of hospitality. Um, 
And she's getting aggravated because her sister is doing none of that. Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. So finally she goes to Jesus and says, would you tell her to get up and give me a hand? And Jesus says, no. No. She's where she should be. In fact, Martha, you should be where she is. You need to be closer to God, Martha. You're doing really good work. But you need to be closer to me. And I think that group of guys the other night, they know that. I mean, you don't go on a week, you don't go on an overnight retreat if you don't, on some very real level, know that. Like, yeah, I, I have to have God in my life because I'm not at my best when God's not near. I was talking to one guy who was at the, the other night and he was telling me, uh, great guy. He's um, got a, uh, I think he's got one son and uh, he went on the retreat a couple of months ago and he was telling me how, I guess about a year before, it was Ash Wednesday, we had handed out these cards on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, like the whole world comes out to church, right? So it's sort of like, let's capitalize on all the big numbers of people, try and get some back. And uh, so we handed out these cards that had just these online resources for people to kind of connect with. It might help them kind of with their prayer life, with their spirituality. Register online and then you get, every day you get the gospel reading of the day and you get a little reflection on it and you take two minutes and spend some time in prayer. Very practical way of becoming more prayerful. So anyway, we handed that out and this guy said he, he did it and he hasn't stopped. And prior to that, he hadn't really been that, he hadn't been as connected as he really needed to be or should have been. But he did then and he said he just hasn't stopped. And it's absolutely kind of impacted his faith it's made him a better man and a better, a better father and a better husband. I think those guys, that particular guy and the rest that were up on that deck and the ones that weren't there that went to the retreat, they know that if God's not really kind of priority in their life, then they will not be at their best. Got to friend of mine um, who's a uh, kind of a hockey nut. He, uh, in fact, he himself, he's in his 50s. He just stopped playing himself two or three years ago. But he's got a son who's very, very hockey involved. Grade school, high school, now he's in college. And, uh, you know, the hockey world is pretty, pretty intense. You really got to be committed to it. It involves, it's expensive, it's uh, you know, you're getting up at crazy hours to go to some ice rink, you know, because that's when they've got time to, to practice and to play. You're driving your kid all over the planet, weekend travel, tournaments. It's a big deal. It's a great deal. And his dad was very into it. But he said that there started to become kind of a conflict because he was doing the travel on the weekends with him and the, the family. And... Increasingly, it was getting tougher to find time for mass because they got practices and games kind of throughout the weekend. And at a certain point, he kind of caught himself. He's like, what am I doing? How can I be letting hockey, as important as it is, take priority over mass? I can't, we can't do that. Like, what a, what a lousy message to be sending to my kid. 
Hockey's really important. Jesus is just more important. It's that simple. But in the course of our lives, I think we let other stuff trump Jesus. And very often the way that kind of plays out, I think is being here, being in church on Sunday. So anyway, he's like, enough of this. And he, uh, he just started getting very proactive. He, okay, we're going to be in this little town upstate New York this weekend. I'll find out where the nearest church is. And I'll find out what the mass schedule is. And one way or another, we're going to get to mass. And he started doing it. And other families that were staying at the whole same hotel saw what he was doing. And they started following him. Not a lot. Certainly not most. But a few. Yeah, what a, what a great thing to be able to say, yeah, I got people going to church who hadn't been because of my example. You know, Martha in the gospel, she's the one who Jesus kind of reprimands. She wasn't a bad person at all. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She just got it mixed up. And I think a lot of times we find this gospel kind of tough because I think a lot of us relate to Martha. It's like, come on, she's helping you out, Jesus. What are you giving her grief for? Tell Mary to get off her backside and give a, give a hand. No. She shouldn't get up and help. I think a lot of us are like, oh, oh it seems a little, Jesus having a bad day or something. No. Jesus was just saying, this is most, most important. Getting the coffee and the donuts is really a big deal. This is a way bigger deal. And I think probably, maybe all of us, we get defensive of Martha because we kind of are Martha a lot. We do good stuff. Dropping your kid all over the world for hockey is a great thing. But if it competes with God, then it's becoming problematic. We become Martha. You know, there's a book that was out a couple of years ago, and it was a pretty big bestseller in uh, kind of like church world spiritual writing and it was the title was great it was called how to have a martha no how to have a merry heart in a martha world how to have a merry heart in a martha world like that's the challenge the world is martha it is crazy we are busy we run all over the place that's kind of reality but we gotta like we gotta hold on to and protect this merry heart this merry spirit or we become, we make the mistake of Martha. What that hockey guy did, he lived out the title of that book. He didn't quit hockey. He didn't tell his kid, no more hockey. He just said, we're going to find a place to meet Jesus. We're going to sit at Jesus' feet before we're skating on a rink. Hey, it's what the scotch and cigar guys were doing the other night. The reason they were on that roof is because in the course of their life, they've realized, yeah, if I don't have a Martha, I mean a Mary heart, I'm going to screw it up. I remember going to this uh, conference. It's a long time ago. It's probably about 15 years ago. And somebody recommended it. It was kind of like a, like a leadership conference, some management group uh, that a friend had gone, he'd gone to this and he, he thought it was great and I was complaining to, to him one night about being just kind of overwhelmed and very disorganized and with work. And he said, you ought to check the, go to this thing. It was like an overnight, I think. Yeah, it was an overnight um, conference. 
and I went. And it was uh, it was all about creating goals and setting priorities, kind of what you'd expect, but it was good stuff. I remember them talking a lot about lists, how it's important, you know, in order to create goals, once you create goals, you got to get a list going. And you figure out, okay, these are the five things that I've got to get done today or this week or this year, whatever, whatever the time frame is. But when you kind of write it out, it kind of makes it real. It's not just this thing in the clouds. So it's the kids' schedules, it's shopping lists, it's weekend projects. This, you know what it is, it's all the stuff that we all do that keeps us very Martha, very busy. It's interesting, those lists though, they were all like to-do lists. What we have to do, and that is important. But you know what's interesting, there were no lists to remind us who we have to be. What you gotta do, there were a thousand of those, but who I need to be, like a list reminding me that. There was none of that on this weekend, on this conference. It's like this. You have to deal with somebody today who has really disappointed you and let you down. They've screwed up. They know it, you know it, and you gotta deal with them. Note to self, be patient. Be patient today. Or, you know, Thursday and Friday is gonna be crazy at work. Long days, I'm gonna be working into the night, both nights. Note to self, be present to the kids on Saturday. One of your kids is going through a tough time at school or on the team, in a relationship. Note to self, be understanding. Man, I, those notes are probably more important than the to-do lists. It's like the to-do list, that's the Martha list. The to-be list, that's the Mary list. They both matter. But one matters more. That's what this gospel's saying. Jesus doesn't trash Martha. He just says, what you're doing doesn't, isn't most. What your sister's doing matters most. It's, he says, she's chosen the better part. Mary chose it. And so should we. You know, there was a great uh, writer, this uh, spiritual writer in the church. He was a priest, a guy from uh, the Netherlands. His name was Henry Nouwen. He died about 10 years ago, but he was very big in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s and a great writer, very readable. Listen to what he said here about, well, listen to this. We are too busy, plain and simple. Our days are filled with things to do, people to meet, projects to complete, calls to make and appointments to keep. Our lives are like overpacked suitcases, busting at the seams, and too heavy to carry. It's too much. We're running on empty. And that was like 25 years ago he was saying that. And it hasn't it gotten worse in 25 years? If it was bad then, it's crazy today. 
He says, we're running on empty. Remember that great song, Jackson Brown? Listen to what he said. This is part of that song. Looking out at the road, rushing under my wheels, looking back at the years gone by, like so many summer fields. 65 and I was 21 and running up 101. I don't know where I'm going now, I'm just running on, but I'm running behind. 69, I was 21 and I called the road my own. I don't know when that road turned into the road I'm on. Looking out at the road rushing under my wheels, I don't know how to tell you all just how crazy life feels. Looking around for the friends that I used to turn to, to pull me through, looking into their eyes, I see them running too. We're all running on empty or close to it. We are way too busy. And I think there are very real spiritual implications when we're too busy. Jesus to Martha. He goes, Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things. Like, Martha, stop. Sit down, Martha. Catch your breath. Sit down next to me. The National Institute of Health. I mean, I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record with this, but I am going to keep playing this record. Because you hear it in a, in, a, in a varied way every week, practically. The National Institute of Health. Listen to this. One in three of all kids today, kids being... 13 to 18. One in three, it says, will examine and uh, will experience an anxiety disorder. One in three. It's not saying, hey, I mean, 10 in 10 teenagers get anxious, right? 10 in 10 teenagers get worried and discouraged and scared. Like, that's life. That's part of what being a teenager and beyond just as part of the deal. They're not talking about that. They're talking about anxiety disorders, like bigger stuff, more serious stuff, that's becoming epidemic, one in three. Like, why? Why is that happening? Where is this anxiety coming from? Why is the suicide rate become beyond a scandal in this country. Well, they got lots of reasons. I mean, we probably know lots of them. Here's a common one. Expectations that are being placed on kids today. Pressure to succeed. Pressure that's coming from mom and dad. You've gotta get in this school. You gotta get good grades to get in this school. So you're in fourth grade and we're going to start getting you ready for the SATs. You've got to make this team. So we got you, you got five different trainers working, working you so that you get the scholarship that you got to get. And there's just crazy pressure. And hey, parents aren't in their kid's face with that. It's way more implicit, but it's very powerful. And it's freaking kids out. And parents need to get a handle on that. 
kids are scared. Of course they're scared. Kids are afraid of going to school and getting shot. How could you not be scared at times about life and school? It is scary. Social media. It's like I check out everybody else's profile and everybody seems to have the perfect life. That's a joke, it's because they're creating their profile. They take the best possible picture they can of themselves. And then they doctored a bit to make it even look better. That's who I am. No, it's not. You're not that good looking. You're just, you're just not. I can, and I'm, I'm not feeling so great about how I look or how talented I am. So I begin to think, man, I'm not really worth a whole lot. Hey, it is like compelling reasons why we got a lot of anxiety. And some of it we can do something about. Hey, I was, a, I was just quickly doing the math. I was a teenager. When I was 15, I was 42 years ago when I was 15. It was 1980. In 1980, there were no cell phones, right? And there were no school shootings, pretty much, right? And you didn't have parents who had lost their minds over their kids' sports careers. Like, my parents went to the, our games, but they didn't, they didn't become lunatics over whether we won or lost. Because they kind of knew none of us were making the pros. Like, we just weren't that good. They were more concerned about us being good people, not great athletes or scholars. And I'm not saying don't work hard. And I'm not saying don't try to make the pros, but don't make it everything. And put pressure, which leads to anxiety. How about this? You probably got a friend out there whose kid is struggling, one in three. Probably got a, a friend, a, 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 the child of a friend of yours whose kid is struggling in these ways. So, and they've opened up. They're talking to you about it because they're concerned, as they should be. Why is he so anxious? Why this sort of dark talk? Why is he so down? And you know this. Like 10 years ago, they used to go to church regularly, and they don't anymore. Somewhere along the way, they just kind of stopped, and you know it. Why don't, you, why don't you mention that to them? Because God will help. Get your 16-year-old to sit close to Jesus the way Mary was. Hey, is that, is that the solution to all of our problems? Of course not. This is complicated stuff. But the absence of faith in our culture it's like, you guys don't really go to church so much anymore, huh? No, no, we, we kind of don't. We got it, just kind of got away from us. And do you guys really talk much about God at home anymore? No, not really. Does anybody at home talk to God? And No, no, not really. And your kid's really struggling, yeah. Well, here's a couple of dots to connect. Martha, you are too anxious. You are too worried, Martha, says Jesus. There is need of one thing, and your sister figured it out. She's, she's chosen the better part. 
So the, a prescription for anxiety, one, not the only, but one prescription for anxiety, choose the better part. Sit at his feet. <laughs>